and welcome to Novel Thoughts, a book chat podcast hosted by me, Sapphire Bates. And me, Michelle Thomas. And me, Joseph Dance. Three book lovers from East Kent. Every week, one of us will pick a book, maybe an old favourite or something they've just read and loved. And the three of us will read and discuss it. We'll also chat about what culture we've consumed that week and take questions from you, our lovely listeners. But before we talk about that, how is everyone today? Good. Nine out of ten. Nine ten. Out of, oh, strong. Ten. Oh, eleven. Wow. Eleven. Turned, I turned it up to oh, eleven. Oh my god. How are you? I'm very well. I've just been to the gym and I'm feeling quite sore and stiff on my shoulders, which apparently is a good sign. Um, and yeah, I'm just looking forward to Christmas. Oh, it's almost Christmas. It's almost is, Christmas. Is everyone feeling festive? Are your trees up? Where, where are we at with this? No tree. No oh. tree here. All right, screw so, <laughs> so, no, no tree? Um, not because I'm anti-trees. I, I'm very pro-trees, but we're going on holiday. And so it didn't really make sense because I always get a real tree. I'm, I don't... I'm, no, again, not judging plastic trees, but I like a real tree. And it just didn't make sense to have a real tree sitting in the house with nobody looking at it. If the tree is in the house with no one looking at it, is there really a tree? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Keep listening. Um, we normally put up our tree, and I should say we've got our grandmother's, my grandmother's tree, from the 1940s. Ooh, vintage tree. Whoa. So it's like... 80 years old. It does shed quite a lot. I is think it's it maybe actually, made of asbestos. Is it actually the EU safety standards? No, I mean, if you <laughs> hold a match near it, the whole house will go up, but we don't do that. So we normally have our tree up in the first week of December. And then I like to have all of our presents wrapped and under the tree by the second week of December. And if I've forgotten anyone by that point, they just get a nice card and a Terry's chocolate orange. Fair enough. There has to be a cutoff point. I'm I normally quite, do the wrapping, you see, on Christmas Eve with a bottle of port. <laughs> like to see that wrapping. <laughs> Sapphire, are you organised for Christmas? Uh, not organised, no. I did most of my Christmas shopping yesterday online and hopefully it's going to arrive. Um, we shall see. But it's out of my hands. I Fingers like crossed. That. <laughs> Everything yeah. crossed. You've got more than a week still. So yeah. It should be okay. We shall see. Um, but I do have a really important question for you guys before we get into books and stuff. Now, yesterday I had a really interesting conversation with Nicholas and apparently crackers are meant to go on a tree. Discuss. They I, can go on a tree. They can go on a tree. Little ones. Well, this is a thing. Yeah. Uh, no, big ones. Yes, this is Nick saying the crackers I bought. I bought some really nice crackers to go on the table on Christmas Day, so you can pull them and do your party hats and stuff. And he said, "Why have you not put them on the tree yet?" And I said, "What the hell are you talking about? They're crackers. They go on the table, not the tree." I mean, if they're luxury crackers, they go on the table. If they're from Harvey Nicks or Selfridges, they well, go on the table. Well, I've been I mean, too far. Yeah. <laughs> Or Wilco's online. They're from TK Maxx. They're from the, so they'll be going on the tree because they're the naff crackers with the, with the landfill stuff how, inside them. How dare you! <laughs> I have no strong feelings either way about this. I just I'd never heard of that before. So I've never I was, heard of it I was before intrigued. either. So that's I. I mean, I've seen little crackers that you can put on the tree, like they're part of the decorations. But I've never heard of putting the. I mean, they're massive. How big is your tree? It's quite big. Okay. So, uh, like, are you guys still together? What's happening? <laughs> well, are, are you, you spending Christmas separately? Well, no. <laughs> I we we discussed it. I said crackers don't go on the tree. He said they do. So the crackers are still in the box, and they're not going on the tree. <laughs> They'll just you'll just never buy crackers again. And then it it will be uh, moot. Well, thank you for clearing that up for me. That You're was welcome. that was. I don't very think helpful. we did. Well, <laughs> I think we did. Yeah, I feel I feel that it settled something for me in in my heart. Sapphire so, looks happy. Oh yeah, that's that's all that matters. 
one point to me. <laughs> so, <laughs> what have we what have we read this week? What have we read or what have we consumed? Oh, what have I read? Oh, what have I consumed? Well, I have been consuming a ridiculous um, TV show, which is one of my... Um, it's a guilty pleasure. Um, it's called The Gilded Age. It's by Julian Fellows, and it's absolute nonsense, and I really enjoy it. I love this show. <laughs> I am here for the Gilded Age. I've never heard of it. It's on um, Now slash Sky. And it's basically, it's a bit like Downton Abbey, which is his English rich people story. Um, but this is in New York. And it's during the um, time of the robber barons and all the railway expansion. And it's just about New York high society. So you've got the nouveau riche, the old money. Um, they never the twain shall meet. And ridiculous dresses and balls and marriages and affairs and so like an olden day succession yeah yeah with less swearing and maybe controversially better actors it's got christina baranski and uh cynthia nixon playing two of the old money cynthia nixon was she sex and yes City? yes yes and carrie coon who's in the leftovers Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but I, yeah, I just love. It. I mean, it is nonsense, and it. Uh, but it's just very, very great pleasure. Um, reading wise, I have been reading "Fight Like a Girl," which is by an Australian feminist, which kind of fits in with what we're reading this week. Um, uh, Clementine Ford, um, which is very fun. She's very funny. It does have quite dark turns as well. Obviously, it's a feminist book, but she's also someone who gets into quite a lot of trouble for making jokes on Twitter. And um, one of them was about firing men into the sun, and she got into quite a lot of trouble for that because men were like, "You hate all men. You want to kill us all." And she was like, "It was a joke." Though. I would have taken as a man, as would a man, take- <laughs> I would have taken. I would have taken that as a joke. I wouldn't yeah. have expected her to be in contact any time soon to fire me into the sun. <laughs> well, I'll just pack my stuff. I'm off. <laughs> um, but no, that's a, it's a um, well worth reading. It's good fun and and enlightening as well. Nice. Sounds great. I'll add that to the list. Joseph, what, what have you been reading or consuming this I week? I read a novel called Do You Remember Being Born by the American author Shawn Michaels. Um, I absolutely love this novel. Um, it's about an ageing, uh, world-renowned but hard-up poet called Marianne Farmer with two Fs at the beginning of Farmer. So she's offered $70,000. Hang on a second. Farmer. With two Fs. I think Never one of the Fs is silent. Farmer. Okay, carry on. <laughs> no connection to Anthony Hopkins. So she's offered $70,000 by a tech company, uh, not unlike Facebook, to write a poem with their new artificial intelligence poetry bot called Charlotte. Um, and it's not quite as easy as she originally thinks. And the book is is basically focused on her relationship with Charlotte. And um, it gets her questioning what poetry is, the nature of language, um, and ultimately what it means to be a human. And I will say, poetry does feature in the novel, obviously. But if that's not your thing, um, don't let that put you off, because the novel is as much about artificial intelligence, which is a big topic nowadays, ageing, family and community. And it's just really moving and it's really funny. So I'd highly recommend it. I've not heard of that, but that... Yeah. It has a really mm. beautiful front cover. I'm intrigued by that. Is it, <laughs> is it hardback or... its cover? Well, I did. That's why I... <laughs> I mean, it. we all do. Is it hardback or is it paperback? It's hardback at the moment. Mm. I think it came out in September this oh. year. Okay, I've not heard of that, but I'm going to check it out. One for the list, definitely. One, yeah, definitely. So this week I have read um, the new Sebastian Forks book, Ooh. The Seventh Son. Was this short, shortlisted or longlisted for the Booker Prize? 
Am I making that up? Yeah, I think you are. I'm, I'm pretty sure someone it's, else. Yeah, it's not. It wasn't for the booker. I definitely wasn't for the booker. I don't know about anything else. It. Yeah. I, well, I haven't read any of Sebastian's stuff. I don't know if that's partly because a lot of them are historical novels, and you don't read that was yes. your favourite genre. So that so, makes sense. Mm, well, this isn't particularly, to be honest, particularly historical. This one. Um, it's called The Seventh Son. So it involves IVF, a big billion-dollar company called the Pan Institute, and a secret. Uh, and the book calls itself a spectacular examination of what it is to be human. I'm not, I don't know whether it does that exactly, but it was an enjoyable book to read. I read it in like two sittings, so it was quite Moorish um, and I, I would recommend it. And it's kind of made me want to read more Sebastian. So I've actually bought two more of his books from his kind of backlist to to give a go to it sounds really interesting yeah mm. it is i think yeah. you might uh, he's you might not like one of my favorite writers i have to mm. say i've, ne I've never read him before so i haven't read anything he's written for ages because he wasn't one of my favorite writers so he may have matured yeah this <laughs> i think this could end up being i don't know because i've not read his older stuff but i get the feeling this is quite different from his earlier stuff because this is modern day future mm. Yeah, kind it does of sound very different genre-wise. Can I just say, I really feel like book PR people or the people writing blurbs need to up their game because this is the second book now where it's been a spectacular examination of what it means to be human. That seems... And like, it's I like, feel, do you maybe think that's I've, this year's theme. Well, yeah. it's always it's kind of memory. It's about identity. It's about what it means to be a human. Come on, guys. You know, it, yeah, I mean, they're quite words. rote, aren't they? they? You do see quite a lot of the same things on... Oh, well, I wonder, especially if books are, you know, if, if people are talking about AI and things, then obviously what it means to be human is kind of tied into okay. the questions of what AI is doing to humans. So I guess that might be why they're, that's the trope I, du good jour. Point, good I point. think as well, to be fair, I, th I think that they're probably quite often led by what's sold well. Mm. So if a book's done oh, really copy, well, they'll yeah, copy it. Yeah. They're kind of told to be like, well, that worked. So repeat yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah i think completely um but anyway i enjoyed it i i would recommend it's what it's worth a look at anyway a little dig into if you if you are a fan of that kind of thing now another book i really want to talk about that i read this week was the great believers by rebecca mckay mm, i love this book did you read it yeah it incredible um i really liked it so it's set in kind of late 1980s early 90s in the middle of the aids crisis in new york and then it's also got a kind of modern day element in which takes place mainly in paris um and it yeah i just thought it was incredible i really felt like i've been transported back to that time period and i was just there with those young men and that group of friends and it just i mean it's a heartbreaking kind of anxiety inducing but just also beautiful about love and friendship and it's beautiful and i want everyone to read it and, and rebecca's got a new one out next year i think next spring so i'm quite excited for that as well. she's a hugely talented writer and i would say i i thought this book was brilliant and i thought it was kind of an antidote to a little life i mean it's a different type of book same kind of period but really really great sounds like you've got some good recommendations there anyway for everyone's reading pile over yes the, over the holidays um, i am gonna I am going to very quickly mention one more book and then I am going to move us along. But I am I have just started and I'm enjoying um, a book called Wellness by Nathan Hills. It's not out until the 25th of Jan. So this is this is a proof again, one of those annoying ones. Um, but I think there might be quite a lot of chatter about it. I've not heard anything. I've not heard anything myself, about this one. but a couple of, of uh, bookshop 
people um, who come in and chat with me in my bookshop, customers, I think they're called. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they, they've heard good things about it. It's kind of looking at um, a marriage through the ages from the 90s when they meet all the way through. Um, so kind of family saga-ish. Um, and I'm really enjoying it. It's really well written so far. I'm only about 50 pages in. I started it last night, but I will kind of check back in when I finished it. Yeah. But it's, it's one to keep an eye out for because it's good. So what are we reading today, guys, and discussing? This week we are reading, or we've read, I hope, <laughs> um, Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmus. So have you guys come across this, heard about it? I have. This was a huge book club book last mm. year, I think. And I think people are still reading it in book clubs now. So Yeah. Um, Seth? Yeah, I'd heard of it. It'd been a really big seller for us in the bookshop. Um, and to be honest, I, I feel bad now having read it saying that I, I, I didn't think I was going to like it. I was kind of avoiding it. We were selling a lot of it. And I was like, eh, I really didn't, the cover didn't do it for me. And mm. I was a bit like, mm, this feels a bit cheesy. And I kind of avoided it. And then we picked it and I thought, okay, this is great because it's going to get me to actually read it. And yeah, felt totally different. I think you had the same kind of reaction to it as well, didn't you? Just because it's avoidance of anything too popular. <laughs> I think, yeah, I'm genuinely a snob. No, I, do, I, I read a lot of popular fiction. I think the cover for me really put me off, and I'm ashamed to say that. I think the, the UK hardback and the paperback, the design was atrocious. The American design was actually, I think, even worse, though. It was pink. Is that possible? Pink, and it was like a ponytailed. Oh my gosh, woman. I've seen it. Yeah. yeah, no, that was yeah. awful. <laughs> that, that was, was genuinely even worse. horrific. Yeah, so I think ours was not quite we as escaped. horrible. We escaped. Yeah, we were lucky. Okay, well, for people who don't know anything about this book, I'll just read a quick synopsis. And then before we really do the deep dive, I'd actually like to discuss the synopsis and see if you think this is an accurate description of the book. Chemist Elizabeth Zott is not your average woman. In fact, Elizabeth Zott would be the first to point out that there is no such thing as an average woman. But it's the early 1960s and her all-male team at Hastings Research Institute takes a very unscientific view of equality, except for one, Calvin Evans, the lonely, brilliant, Nobel Prize-nominated grudge holder who falls in love with, of all things, her mind, true chemistry results. But like science, life is unpredictable, which is why, a few years later, Elizabeth Zott finds herself not only a single mother, but the reluctant star of America's most beloved cooking show, Supper at Six. Elizabeth's unusual approach to cooking, combined one tablespoon acetic acid with a pinch of sodium chloride, proves revolutionary. But as her following grows, not everyone is happy, because as it turns out, Elizabeth Zott isn't just teaching women to cook. She's daring them to change the status quo. Laugh out loud funny, shrewdly observant and studded with a dazzling cast of supporting characters, Lessons in Chemistry is as original and vibrant as its protagonist. So I just wanted to say really quickly before we... The, the, the book was hugely popular. I mean, loads, the reviews have been absolutely incredible. It's best book of the year in the New York Times, Washington Post, Oprah Daily, Entertainment Weekly, Newsweek, and it's been adapted for TV um, by Apple with a star-studded cast, including Brie Larson, Bo Bridges, Lewis Pullman and Rosemary DeWitt. So, what do you think about the synopsis? I, did I read that book? I kind of, I, there's quite a lot to unpack there. I, I, I don't agree with quite a few of those statements. I mean, I, I read a book that I, I enjoyed and I didn't think I, I would, much like Sapphire was saying, but Saf, what do you think? Yeah, I don't think they got it quite right with the synopsis. And I, and I think that's in part why that, along with the cover, as mentioned, is why I hadn't read it. Because I thought, mm, it sounds very twee from the, <laughs> from the synopsis, right? Yes. Like, And it sounds a lot like the synopsis. They're kind of making the focus 
that her cooking show and stuff. And actually, I didn't feel like that was that to me was a sideline of the story. It, it, it was it featured quite a lot, but it didn't really feel like this is the point of the book. Yeah, I, so I, I agree with you completely. I think that synopsis is quite weird. And also, I I don't know about you, but I can't say that I found it laugh out loud funny. I found it funny, but I mean, funny, laugh but it wasn't like funny. rolling on the floor funny. I, <laughs> think that... I, I didn't, I didn't laugh <laughs> yeah. once. I oh. think, I think this is over. I think there's one line where I laugh, which is where somebody's some one of the many, many sexist men in the book <laughs> um, is being sexist to Elizabeth, and she gets a knife out of her bag, and they kind of back off. And I quite like the fact that she just has this knife because it's when she's doing her cooking show. So she has like some sort of 10-inch knife in her bag and they back off from her. And I think that was the only time I had a little smile, but I don't think there was any, like, guffaws. I didn't laugh at that point, but... I've always I, wondered I can see the how humor. you say that word, just as a side note. Guffaw. Guffaw. Mm, <laughs> <laughs> mm, okay. I didn't guffaw. <laughs> so, yeah, I think the synopsis is, is, uh, is interesting and I think it... Comes, kind of comes back to what we were saying in the intro of like the PR people have obviously been given all the actually it's not PR um, but the marketing people have obviously been given like points to hit and and what will appeal to book clubs or whatever it is but they that I definitely don't think that that um, synopsis is quite right. I don't think it does it justice. Mm. I I thought it was a book about to me the main thing was I mean feminism is obviously a huge part of it but the core of it for me was relationships between all of these different characters and how they relate to each other that felt I don't know if that's just because that was my favorite element of the book but that's what stood out the most to me because because the feminism aspect it was of its time it's set in a time where everybody was sexist and women were homemakers and the adverts were like oh women cleaning in their kitchen what have you what have you so it wasn't that that didn't feel a main part for me, but I, I was more interested in how kind of Zot relates to other people and her relationships with her work colleagues and her daughter. And I loved the relationship with the neighbor across the street. Um, and, and yeah, how all of these people come together and, and kind of, yeah. Yeah, completely. What do you think? I wanted more of um, Zot establishing herself in the scientific world. I thought there was there was a lot of um, telling and not showing on that front. And um, by the second half of the book, with the um, Supper at Six show that she hosts, I just thought this is taking space away from a really interesting narrative about a woman surviving and thriving in a male-dominated world with really a really awful cast of male characters who are, are, are really Apart quite vengeful. Wonderful Calvin. But Apart what... from Wonderful <laughs> Calvin. Um, one thing I think it, which is interesting... Um, I don't think Bonnie Garmus knows very much about chemistry. I think she chose to make it a book about chemistry because she wanted to be able to play on the idea of chemistry between Calvin and Elizabeth. But I think the lack of her lack of actual understanding, she's an advertising copywriter, her lack of understanding about chemistry kind of shows in the book because the chemistry feels like it's really sort of chemistry 101. And like you're saying, there's a lot of telling, but not really, it's just not very there's not a very deep understanding yes. of, of what that kind of research institute would be like. Whereas she's actually a rower 
And I think when Elizabeth starts rowing with Calvin, you can see she knows about rowing. She knows of what she talks. So I, I just kind of felt that it, she liked the punning around the idea of that these two had chemistry. Mm, that, that's interesting because I'd not really considered that and mm. I didn't really necessarily get that vibe. I mean, I, I studied chemistry to A-level, um, but no further. Strongly disliked it. Um, <laughs> but I did it. But I, and I didn't really get those chemistry 101 vibes. Or if I did, I, it was like a feeling that it kind of... I don't know that you could have gone too in-depth into chemistry. Well, I kind or of would felt that what people. Elizabeth was studying wasn't, was working on wasn't even really chemistry. It was kind of biology. It was all a bit confusing. I mean, she was talking Biochemistry. About, yeah. I mean, I don't know anything about abiogenesis. Is no, no, do I. It? But yeah. So, it felt like biochemistry. Yeah. I thought, because I'm such a dweeb, <laughs> I thought the author was kind of aping or echoing the um, kind of famous relationship between uh, Pierre and Marie Curie, who were the famous yeah. chemists. Yes. And they were the couple who discovered lots of things together. And he very graciously gave it. Marie some um, headspace on, the, on all of their reports. <laughs> I, I mean, I never know whether to admit on this podcast when I don't know things. I didn't know that. Google it. Um, I, I had never really put the two together, which now well, seems very silly. <laughs> Elizabeth actually says, I mean, the, the, there's, it's one of the things that um, irked me slightly, but Elizabeth Zott actually, I think, says, name a famous female scientist and don't say Marie Curie. So I think they, they actually do kind of drop that in. But I think what you were saying about the feminism, obviously it's set at roughly the time that second wave feminism is starting to bubble under. So um, people like Betty Friedan were writing her books. And also that kind of came out of and ran in parallel with the civil rights movement. Do you actually think this is a feminist book, though? I think there's a lot of feminism in this book. Um, and it's definitely a certain type of white feminism. What, which... ma what makes a book a feminist book, I guess, is, is where I, I, don't, yeah. I don't know what, what would be a feminist book. What do we need to tick for it to be that? Is it that it needs to, does the character need to take, action or you know where where do we land on that because i because i don't know if it is or not but then i don't know what book i would i mean she's she's fighting for equality isn't she she's fighting for her place within within this patriarchal yeah world. but she's not mm. really doing it for everyone like th this is about zot's journey and it, it, she's not necessarily although she she you can see that she feels that this should be a right for everybody or at least for other women like her um I don't know whether I don't really necessarily see it as a feminist book because it felt more about her career and I, her. Yeah, I think I found that this idea it, it, it's very much the hero's journey kind of thing and Elizabeth Zott is this like superwoman. I mean basically she is just like she's so perfect and everything she does turns out wonderfully for her and so I I don't feel that she's like spearheading a revolution as much as just carving out her own space. Yes, exactly that. It feels very much like she's fighting for her rights. And and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Yeah. Like I'm not saying it should be something else. But yeah, I wouldn't necessarily say it's a feminist novel because to me it's just Zot trying to make the best out of life that she can for herself and yeah. her daughter. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought her way of doing feminism felt quite anachronistic in that her, her monologues were about feminist principles were delivered in a very contemporary way. I mean, they felt like they were kind of straight out of, you know, the Smash the Patriarchy podcast. <laughs> but the actual content of her feminism was very second wave. And, um, you know, there was almost zero intersectionality. There was no discussion of class, race, 
sexuality. That's why I said white feminism, because this is a very intelligent, successful white woman who wants to get to the top of her field. She wants to be recognised. And like you said, it's the hero's journey. That's pretty much it. I mean, I felt the book completely erased all of the grassroots activity that was happening at that time. But would someone like Zot have been aware of those grassroots movements? That's what I wasn't mm. sure about, because although intersectionality and... and well, I'm thinking of like Kimberly Crenshaw. I don't think her, when did her article come out? That wasn't until the 80s, was it? I'm trying to think of like, they I don't would... know whether a white woman would be aware of those movements well, at that time. One of the things um, I, I, it, that's interesting about the adaptation is that they changed some of the characters because I think there must have been some awareness of exactly that, the lack of intersectionality. So Calvin actually lives in a black neighborhood and Harriet is a young black woman um, with two young children. Her husband is a doctor and they have a perfectly lovely relationship as opposed to the one in the book. And he's been, he's an army doctor, so he's been away um, and he comes back and um, Calvin dies. Oh, spoiler. Um, sorry, I should have said we we're going to be talking about spoilers at this point. <laughs> um, but then Harriet get, helps Elizabeth because obviously, and so their relationship is the same, but Harriet's got two young children, so she's not there to just... But then does Harriet... And she has a job. She also works in a lawyer's office. And so she is fighting a whole other um, battle to stop their neighbourhood being bulldozed to create a new road. And so Elizabeth becomes more involved in the community. She helps with civil rights actions. And so she's not so isolated and so kind of one track as she is in the book. I mean, that sounds interesting, but it mm. sounds totally different. That is totally to different the book. from the book. Like that, that, that's moving away from all the points. I mean, the whole point of Harriet is free to babysit the kid and she needs a babysitter because she can't, hasn't got anybody. And then doesn't Harriet meant to fall in love with what's his face? Yeah. Water Pine. Well, well, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that, that was my first thought when you said Harriet's working as a paralegal. How does she find the time to look after the kids? I mean, just on a she practical really. level. Basically, um, you don't really see um, Mad as a little as a baby. She's a, like a baby, and then she's at right. nursery. So there's, they kind of jump over those years, and then she's at, at kindergarten, and then they essentially Elizabeth quite often just seems to leave her with six thirty and the vicar. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't oh 630 is elizabeth's dog and probably my favorite character in the yes, whole book 630 is my favorite <laughs> character and i think that's where when i finished the book and i and and you know the questions you're asking i think where i land is is maybe some of those things should have been thought about um and but i think it would have been a totally different book i think it Definitely. The reason yes. it comes up is because of the synop going back to the synopsis and the fact that they've labelled it as a feminist book. Yes. Well, you're then like, well, it's a particular type of feminism. And I think as an academic, I mean, obviously, I think Elizabeth would have been very much, um, you know, focused on her work, but also there was a lot going on at the time in terms of what was happening in universities. And I think that it would be very unlikely that as an academic that she wouldn't have been aware at least of some rumblings around. Um, but how far did she... She left, didn't she, after she got assaulted by... She le she leaves um, UCLA, but then she goes to work at the Research Institute. So that's still academia, and so I think it would it would still be unlikely that even if there wasn't um, anything happening on their campus, that they wouldn't have been talking about what was happening at universities at the time. Well, that that was exactly my thought because she's a curious, intelligent person. She's she's clearly interested in the world around her. 
I mean, okay, some of the big civil rights um, events like Martin Luther King's famous speech in Washington, the assassination of Malcolm X, they didn't happen until the 60s. But what was happening was school desegregation. And there was a lot of conversation about that for, for decades. And given that the book takes us into the school system, given that we see Mad's teacher and we get a flavour of what it's like for a precocious child in a mainstream school, I'm just surprised there wasn't... There, I kind of feel like it was a missed opportunity. Perhaps that's a different book. I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't mm. know on that. I, I don't... Because I think, to me, the teacher was just kind of meant to be funny. Like, her... Quite, she felt quite ridiculous. Like she was. Yeah. Well, I think I think also what you're meant to get the sense of because of Elizabeth's peculiar childhood, where she's never actually sent to school. She thinks that going to school is what you do, and she assumes that teachers will be interesting and clever and um, and um, stimulate the children and and want to work with a clever child rather than that they just want to keep them in a kind of box. And so I think she doesn't understand how the school system works. So I think there is a sort of humour of it. Um, but I also, I find, I find Elizabeth quite a frustrating character. And I've actually written here in my notes, is Elizabeth Zott the ultimate Mary Sue? I had to look this up because I didn't know what Mary Sue meant. <laughs> yeah, who's Mary Sue? And Mary Sue is... <laughs> who <she? laughs> Well, if you looked it up, have you got to do, do, do you want to define it or shall I? I'm happy for you to define it. All I know is that it's connected to Star Trek fan fiction. Is it? Okay. okay. Well, I didn't know that. <laughs> I've, been, I've been looking at different websites. Sorry, everyone. Um, basically, Mary Sue is just a kind of, um, I mean, I'll read it here. A character archetype in fiction, usually a young woman who is often portrayed as inexplicably competent across all domains, gifted with unique talents or powers, liked or respected by most other characters, unrealistically free of weaknesses, extremely attractive, innately virtuous and or generally lacking meaningful character flaws. Okay. Well, yeah... And no, like, yes, she she is kind of, is an element of that. That is, I feel, part of the character that, that, that's been built. But I, that's what I feel the book is meant to be. Like, I feel like that there's almost, I feel like the book is meant to be fairly lighthearted, even though it touches on grief, it touches on feminism. I don't think Bonnie necessarily intended for this to be a book that really digs into topics. Mm. I imagine, which is potentially why the publishers have said it's laugh out loud funny. It's like they're trying to touch on something lighter hearted, I think. And mm. if and I went into it being like, oh, I'm going to, I started it. I thought I'm going to enjoy this. I saw the dog's point of view and I was like, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to like this. I loved 630s chapters. And I thought, oh, that's sad. But it, it felt like light-hearted and I, I think to, to go into all of these topics and to make her a character with flaws and to make her someone who's actually aware of the things that were going on at the time and that she should care about would have been a totally different book but then I feel like she's just a cutout because where is that flaw where is that driving well, kind she's of annoying is that not is that not her <laughs> oh, flaw? she is annoying have we already said she's annoying that was going to be my explosive point no, she's really annoying that, that I, maybe we didn't say it out loud but yeah. I, I definitely was we were thinking. all rolling out well, eyes i think in she has a, a lack of 
in that kind of driven way that people do, she has a complete lack of awareness of her effects of people around her. And she just, she's so determined on her own course and path, which is admirable in some ways, but she has no understanding of how to be diplomatic or to have any kind of like smooth the path. And I'm not saying she should be like groveling and, and obsequious, but just there are other ways to get your own way. And she just goes straight in like a bull in a china shop at every point. There's a, there's a great moment in the book which speaks to that point i've put in my notes elizabeth is a joyless mirthless utilitarian (laughs) (laughs) that's not the point she's very good at rowing though when she's when she's um, on the set of supper at six and it feels almost pathological that inability to um you know understand other people's viewpoints she can't bring herself to say the word fun on the cue card and she strips her studio kitchen of any signs of homeliness or comfort and I'm just thinking, who does that? Well, and also when she um, decides that she's going to create a laboratory at home and she basically destroys a perfectly good kitchen and puts in a laboratory with bits of old rubbish that she basically finds in the street when she's expecting a baby which is going to be crawling soon. Did you not... Did nobody consider that she might um, be autistic? I did consider that. Um, But I guess because the book doesn't really touch on it, you don't... It's that thing of is this just a sort of bad version of an autistic person? Because it doesn't really, you know, it's not explored. But then uh, to me, it... uh, Maybe I'm potentially more aware of it because I'm autistic. So I'm always thinking maybe this person's brain is like my brain and works a little bit different. Um, but I, I, I thought it wasn't really touched upon because of the time, because it wouldn't have been. Mm. I mean, it's still now autism or any kind of neurodivergence in women and girls is so under-researched and understudied. Yeah. But especially yeah. back at that time, nobody would have had any clue. They just think she's difficult. And I do think neurodivergent people a lot get labelled as difficult, as annoying, because we, we are very like, no, this is the way I'm doing it. And, and a lot of autistic folks can struggle to put themselves in other people's shoes and I really got that especially like when she's changing her kitchen she's she's just one track minded because in her head that makes sense she's like yep well I'm a scientist I'm gonna have to work from home so this all needs to go when she's on the set she's like well this is I don't need any of this I'm here to cook and to teach so let's get rid of all of this it is weird though that when because she's really good at cooking and yet she's absolutely determined that there's no pleasure in cooking because she sees it as a science. But that can still be a pleasure. Work should... There can be pleasure in work. And so that's odd that, her, you know, she or, she's very, but, very kind of anti-enjoying anything. I, but then again, I didn't... That wasn't my takeaway. Again, I just think fun might look a little bit different to Elizabeth Zott. And, mm. and Well, she never really does seem to have... A, and that's actually one of the things that's slightly interesting in the show. I think they've... She's still quite driven, mm. but she's definitely softer. She goes round to Harriet's with beer, which I don't think happens in the book at all. No, I just, I just got the impression and I... Yeah, the lens I kind of was looking at her through was like perhaps her definition of fun is going to look quite different. Mm. That could be her doing an experiment for seven hours and you think she hasn't smiled once, but she's actually having a really good time. She just shows it differently i think that's a really fair point and like you said especially back then women would have been expected to mask more i mean autism really wasn't even a thing people were discussing i think 
as well in the book, you know, to give her due, she does have very meaningful relationships with Walter, who's her producer, and Harriet, the next door neighbour. Um, I was quite interested in those characters because I, I felt that both Calvin and um, Elizabeth had quite traumatic upbringings. Yeah. And Walter and Harriet, I mean, they become mum and dad at the end, don't they? Effectively. Effectively. Well, and then you get, and this is the, I do want to talk about the ending specifically, but you also then do get this kind of found family um at the end that didn't exist yeah. at the beginning so that Elizabeth has gone from being this very isolated character who's essentially just going through this journey on her own to having this new, almost nuclear family of kind of adopted parents and and um and it is a it is a, a bit of a fantasy happy ending and I just wondered what you thought about that and especially this kind of deus ex machina that comes in, swoops yeah. in. I and... mean, this is Calvin's mum appearing yes. to save the day at the end, yeah. making Elizabeth the head of Hastings. I kind of felt like this had vibes of the Dickensian kind of rich aunt trope, you know, <laughs> coming out of nowhere. Um, and by that point, I, I, you know, I thought we were a page away from Elizabeth accepting a Nobel <laughs> Peace Prize nomination or single-handedly well, de-escalating the Cold she's War or something. She's in Life magazine. She's got, you she's, know... She's, she's Vogue. Yeah. I mean, she's yeah. at that point, she's ahead of Beyonce. <laughs> um, yeah, and I also, I just, I, I mean, I like a, I like a loose end in a novel. I like to know how characters deal with ambiguity. So, I mean, I wasn't put off by the ending, but I, I like something a little bit more rough and ready that's going to test the character. And I kind of felt like Elizabeth didn't even seem that bothered that she'd been had at the top Elizabeth shop. just seems to, honestly, to glide above everything that happens to her. It's like all that, I mean, despite all the trauma and everything that's happened to her, she does seem to just kind of just keeps going and they, the book talks about her being depressed but I never really get a sense of her being depressed and I'm I'm not saying you know that may be just her way of coping but it doesn't really get into her head in that sense of like you know of her experience of, of depression and one other thing that I wanted wanted to talk about um really quickly is it's historical fiction but there's some odd language that's used around things like sexual assault, which would not have been the way that it would have been spoken about in the 50s and 60s. Definitely. And and also then there's a kind of tone over which almost says, look how far we've come. But actually, in many ways, we haven't come that far, which I thought it, it's, it's like this idea that this is historical fiction, but actually, you know, life hasn't changed that much in a lot of ways which I found, found quite you know it's like oh that was then I mean I don't I don't know I, I don't read I'm only just sort of beginning my historical fiction journey I always thought to be historical fiction it had to be accurate I thought mm. that was a part of historical fiction unless it was more like speculative fiction in which case you could veer off but that I wouldn't call this that so I don't really know where yeah. I land with that I, I thought it was interesting. I agree. We're, st we're still, unfortunately, on that pathway where women do experience horrific sexual aggression and um, prejudice at work. Um, I, I, well, I guess... the Me Too, you know, that's what, five years ago? And it's still... That's wow, still... has it been five years? I know, it yeah. feels like it's like last week. Mm. Uh, I mean, yeah. I did have an issue with all of the sexual aggressors and all of the sexism coming from really horrible ugly men because <laughs> i just think i wanted it to be a bit more realistic that actually maybe a little more subtle there could be there could be that friendly man who actually steps across the line um so i yeah it could have been a bit more subtle i get the vibe uh, from everything we've talked about that you two were hoping for a different book if we look at kind of like all the all these because i think i just kind of accepted somewhere near the start that this was a 
I'm doing air marks, but a, a light-hearted book. And I mm. was therefore like, okay, well, it's going to have a happy ending. It's going to be quite, the characters are going to be quite kind of like character-esque, you know? Like they're going to be like the villain is like this gross, horrible man with lots of power. You know, it... it I was like, it's not going to have those subtleties, I don't think. Also, I think I'd say that this is obviously Bonnie Garmus's debut novel. And so I think that it maybe has some of those um, debut novel flaws. Yeah. That it's not that subtle. And I think that as she, it, you know, hopefully she will go on and she'll write more and she that craft will will improve. I, I didn't dislike this book. I think it's an enjoyable book. Um, I just think it's interesting. It was so beloved and it got such fantastic reviews. And I just think I probably wouldn't have, have given it do you quite think so, so much praise. I, I'm just thinking aloud. Like, do you think that's because it was quite light? Like... Uh, it it was something that everybody could read. I know it wasn't light in places, but mm. they it was light because it only ever touched on things, you know. And then it was like, oh, she's fixed it, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, magically fixed. Yeah, um, yeah, I think so. Possibly. I mean, I just think I think one of my things is the the ending where you know this effectively a fairy godmother comes along. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I saw that coming though. Yeah, I, I kind of knew and, that from about. And page that kind three. of thing is a little bit frustrating for me because I just think I would have preferred mm. Elizabeth to have achieved that herself rather than it just being like someone coming in with a checkbook and going, yeah. "Right, here we are. You're the queen," um, <laughs> which is essentially what kind of happens. Um, but on that note, um, what rating would you give it, Saf? Three. Jason? Yeah, I think a three. Yeah, that's and fair. I, and I must say, I think it for me personally, if six thirty hadn't been in it, it would be lower. Yes, I really like absolutely. Six thirty is the is the hero of this book. Yes, yeah, <laughs> he's why he's why we didn't DNA. <laughs> yes, yeah, right. So um, I think now we are at the time where we try to answer um, a reader's question. And this week is from Lee, looking for her next must-read book, which is short story collections. Hello, thank you so much for having me involved. I'm really excited to hear what you recommend for me. I recently read Bliss Montage by Ling Ma, a collection of short stories which are really weird and wonderful. I thoroughly enjoyed them and would recommend. But I'm wondering, are there any other short stories that I should be reading? Thank you. Ooh, okay. I like a weird book, so I quite liked this uh this question from our lovely lee um so i was thinking uh cursed bunny by bora chung um is a brilliant short story collection and it's got that weird element quite dark uh yeah there's like babies in toilets and and things just to give you a taste that first story mm. <laughs> it, yeah and then objects of desire by claire sastanovich have you read that one either of you having a little look yellow cover Lemon tart on the cover? Maybe. Okay. I'm I gonna say read it. <laughs> I'm gonna say short stories are not my bag. You know what? I wouldn't pin them as mine, but I actually when I was going back through my book collection, I was like, I've actually read quite a lot. Um yeah, that that's Objects of a Desire is really good. It's got a kind of weird element. I don't think it's as weird as something like Cursed Bunny, but I think you might like it, Lee. Um The Dangers of Smoking in Bed by Mariana Enriquez. Yes really good great great collection yep she's got two two short stories and then she's got our share of the night which is a fantastic very novel. big novel mm. yeah yeah um brilliant love her she's amazing uh where the wild ladies are by aoko matsuda translated by the wonderful polly barton that's a brilliant book 
Um, then I went a bit more old school and digged out Dark Tales by Shirley Jackson, which I love. Um, she's really talented. Out There Screaming, an anthology of new black horror by Jordan Peele and various authors. I really, really liked that. That sounds fun, though. That sounds great. Uh, I don't, yeah, it's it's dark, mm. um, but it's really good. And it's, yeah, it's all... In case you don't know who Jordan Peele is, he's the director of Get Out. Yes, and all the stories have that kind of vibe and he's collated um, all of these these short stories and it's all black authors and it's all kind of through their lens and it's it's really good. Um, I read that quite recently and I, I really enjoyed it and really recommend that. Um, also a bit more old school, but Old Babes in the Wood by Margaret Atwood. Um, she's more of a classique, I always think, um, even though the book's not that old. Um, that short story's got that weird element, really like it. Uh, and then finally, we've got two, I've got two more for you, Lee. Send Nudes by Saba Sams. Great Re- collection. Really good. Very strong book. Um, and then 19 Claws and a Black Bird by Augustina Bazterica. Oof. What a great okay. list. I'll just be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I land. <laughs> that is a great list. I'm, like I said, short stories are not my bag. So I really, really only have one recommendation here. I'm a big Neil Gaiman fan and his short story collection, Fragile Things, um, I really enjoy. Um, but yeah, like I said, I'm not big on short stories. Um, I'm going to say... Um, if you, well, it's not a short story collection, but given that Lee has read um, Ling Ma before, if you haven't read her novel, Severance, read it. So good. 2018, Pandemic in New York. Um, it's brilliant. It's so precious. I preferred that to the short story collection. I haven't read the short story collection, but the short story collection I was going to recommend um, is one by the Argentinian writer Samantha Schweblin, um, who wrote Little Eyes and yes. Fever Dream. And it's called Seven Empty Houses. And I think it's just come out in its English translation last month. Is this Lies, the one with the pandas? With the... Yeah. Yeah. Like the little Furbies. Yes. You can yeah, watch yeah. people through. Robots. Yeah. Yeah. Read that as well. But so this collection, um, all I'll say is it's a collection of seven stories about seven strange houses and the people connected to them. And it's a really weird little book. All, all of these are giving me Black Mirror vibes as well. The early Black Mirrors, not so much the um, the newer seasons, the American the, the yeah, very much so. yeah, was, yeah. yeah, that's a really good way of yeah. describing them. Well, hopefully, Lee, that that gives you some um, inspiration. We've got a, a bit of a mixture there, um, but some brilliant books mentioned. So hopefully, we've helped you out. So that's just about the end of the show. Next time, we will be talking about Dolly Alderton's new novel. Good Material, which charts the heartbreak and humour of a relationship breakdown. Make sure you join us for our deep dive into and for more general book and culture chat. As always, links to everything we've been talking about today will be in the show notes. Please feel free to like and subscribe to the pod, tell a friend or leave us a review. It all helps. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram and TikTok at NovelThoughts underscore pod. Oh, and thank you to producer James. Thank you, thank producer you James. James. Bye. Bye. See ya.